All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to greet you. Thanks for being here uh, for this 10 o'clock worship experience. I want to greet all the folks that are joining us online. It's always a joy to welcome you into our service. I want you to grab a Bible or go to your Bible app, whatever it is for you, and I want you to find the book of Acts in the 10th chapter this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 while you're turning there. I know that we... Uh, are in a verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew called Let's Talk About Jesus. We've been involved in that study for five months, and we're about halfway through chapter five. So 28 chapters. We're going to be there for a while. We took a one-week break last week for Easter. What a great Easter celebration we had. Uh, We're going to take another just a brief one-week break from that study this morning as I share a kind of a special message with you, but we'll be back in the Gospel of Matthew next week. Second thing I want to mention to you this morning is what a great, great uh, day we had yesterday. Uh, We're in the middle of our Go Change the World week, and uh, yesterday we had our food packing event. We partnered with an organization called Pack Away Hunger, and uh, we packed 402,624 meals yesterday. That's something to celebrate. 402,624. And uh, it's always been, a, this is the third year to do it, it's always a great thing, it energizes a lot of people. I want to say a big thank you to everyone who was able to help uh, in one of the three sessions uh, yesterday. And these meals are going to Cuba to bless a mission partner we have there. We have a mission partner in Cuba, we support a seminary in Cuba called New Pines Seminary. And uh, so the meals are going to be distributed to seminary students, to the church connected to the seminary there, and to just people in the community. And we're really fortunate uh, this weekend to have a representative from that mission in New Pines Seminary. And I want to introduce him. This is Pachi. Stand up over here. Where are you, Pachi? Right there. Let's give him a warm welcome. And then uh, you have Rich Yoder with you this morning. Rich, would you stand up? And uh, just uh, this is also when we'll just give him a warm welcome. Rich uh, served as a missionary in Cuba for 15 years and uh, got to meet him this weekend, and so we're certainly glad to have Pachi. Matt Pineda, our senior high pastor, has kind of been his host, and I sent him a text, and I said, is that, is that his full name? I don't know. Maybe he's really famous in Cuba. He's like Cher in Cuba or something like that. He said no, and he gave me, he, he texted me his full name, and I said, yeah, I'm just going to say Pachi because I don't want not, I'm not being disrespectful. I just didn't want to embarrass myself trying to pronounce that name or anything. But we're so grateful to you uh, for our partnership, honestly, and so thankful to have you here. And we're, we're just blessed to be able to be involved in this kind of ministry. All right. All right. Well, listen, I, uh, I wanted to just uh, spend a few minutes this morning talking to you about what it means to live a life of impact. And I want, if you don't leave this weekend with anything else, I want you to leave just understanding that it doesn't matter who you are, all of us, all of us can make an impact on the world around us every single day. Steve Jobs, who was for so many years the visionary leader at Apple Computers, used to say to his people, let's make a dent in the universe. And when he said that, what he was telling them is that, you know, we can change the world. He was just making sure that they understood that they had the ability to make an impact on the world around them. Now, if there's anyone who should believe that, if there's anyone who should live with that kind of attitude and that kind of vision, I think it's the Christian people whose lives have been changed by Christ. There's a reason why the church started with just a handful of people and within a couple of centuries had become a global force for good. And it didn't have anything to do with political power or military strength or anything like that. It had everything to do with, about, with, with how Jesus 
turns ordinary people into an unstoppable force when He changes their lives. And that's what really brings all of us together on the weekend. All of us here this morning are people whose lives have been changed by Christ. And when He brings us together as the church, then we have an incredible opportunity to make an impact on the world around us. And so that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. And I want to begin just by asking you a question. And listen, write this down somewhere, whether you take sermon notes or not. Just write this down somewhere. I want to ask you this question. If you could summarize your life up to this point in a single sentence, what would you say? Think about that for a moment. If you could summarize your life up to this point, and I look around the room, and we're, we're here from all different seasons of life. We've got young to old. If you could summarize your life up to this point in a single sentence, what would you say? Maybe you could think about how the people who would know you the best would summarize your life. It's important to be really honest. And it's important to do an exercise like this from time to time because... Summarizing our lives in single sentences or single statements can help direct our lives. Nobody was a better example of that than Jesus. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that there were multiple occasions where Jesus basically summed up the reality of his life or his purpose in the world with single statements. Let me give you a couple of examples. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now that's pretty succinct, isn't it? Pretty concise, pretty direct. Jesus came to seek and to save what was lost. Here's another example. John chapter 10 and verse 10. We talked about this verse last week when we uh, were involved in our Easter celebration. On one occasion, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Simple, direct, concise statements that summed up the reality of who he was. Now, you just take those two verses, those two statements, and put them together, and this is what I wrote down about Jesus. He came to seek out people whose lives have been wrecked by sin. And that's all of us, by the way. How many of you know that's true? That's all of us. I like to say it doesn't matter whether you're a boring sinner, a spectacular sinner, or somewhere in between. That's the reality of all of our lives. Our lives have all been wrecked by sin. And so this is what you could say about Jesus. He came to seek out people whose lives had been wrecked by sin, save them, and fill their lives with meaning and purpose. And again, that's why we're here today. That's why this place is, 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 is filled with people on the weekends because we all, I hope, are people who have lives that have been changed by Jesus. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, then you need to know that can happen to you today. Before you leave today, Jesus can change your life into what it is right now, into what it was meant to be. But let's get back to the question. If you could summarize your life up to this point in a single sentence, what would you say? You know, not long after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the apostle Peter had an interesting experience where he was invited to a man's house one day for the express purpose of talking to him about Jesus and talking to him about the Christian faith. This whole story is recorded in Acts chapter 10. I hope you got your Bibles open there. The man's name was Cornelius. I don't know if you're familiar with this story or not, but Cornelius, the Bible tells us, was a Roman, excuse me, not a Roman, he was a soldier in the Roman army, and he's described in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2 as devout and God-fearing. That's how he's described to us. Now, what that means is that while he wasn't a Jew, he was worshiping God, doing his best to worship God by following what we would call the moral code or the moral law of the Jewish faith. 
Now, you may or may not know what that means, but a couple of weeks ago when my son Andrew preached from the Gospel of Matthew, a message about the law, he told us or reminded us that the Old Testament law was broken down into three different parts. He reminded us that there's the civil law, there's the ceremonial law, and there's the moral law. The civil law was the part of the law that that God gave His people to follow to make them distinct and different from all the other nations of the world. The ceremonial law was a part of the law God gave His people that taught them how to worship, and the moral law was the part of the law that God gave His people that basically taught them right and wrong. So the bottom line was this man Cornelius was trying to honor God by living a good life according to God's moral law. The Bible even gives evidence of that. In that same verse I used a moment ago, Acts chapter 10 and verse 2, we're told that Cornelius was generous to the poor and that he prayed regularly. Well, one day this man Cornelius, this is what we see in Acts chapter 10, one day this man Cornelius has a vision where an angel visits him and tells him, in effect, Cornelius, your good life has not gone unnoticed. And if you really want to know what a relationship with God is all about, then there's somebody that you need to talk to, and his name is Peter. Now, Cornelius at the time was living in a place called Caesarea, and Peter was in a village called Joppa that was not too far away. And so Cornelius sends a couple of his servants to find Peter and bring him to his home. And when that happened, when Peter came to Cornelius' home and told him about Jesus. The result was Cornelius was saved, he was baptized, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So he went from being a God-fearing Gentile to a Holy Spirit-filled follower of Jesus. It's a great story, and I would really encourage you at some time during today or sometime during this week to open your Bibles again to Acts chapter 10 and read the entire story. But for our purposes this morning, I want to just look at a brief portion of the story. And so, if you got your Bibles open there to Acts chapter 10, I want you to go ahead and stand with me like we always do in reverence and respect for God's Word. If you're a guest with us, we're glad to have you this morning. So So glad to have you. This is what we do every week. We make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service, and we stand in reverence and respect for God's Word. And I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, down to verse 43, so you follow along. Then Peter began to speak. Obviously, this is after Peter came to Cornelius' house. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear Him and do what is right You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. We are witnesses of everything He did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed Him by hanging Him on a tree, but God raised Him from the dead on the third day and caused Him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with Him after He rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask for God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. Now, I told you that's just a brief portion of the story of Cornelius and Peter in Acts chapter 10. That's just a brief portion of it. Well, I'm going to make it even more brief 
for the purpose of our time today, and I'm going to focus our attention on verses 37 and 38. I'll put them on the screen behind me. Remember, as Peter was describing or explaining Jesus to Cornelius, he said, you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you again, I think that there's great merit in summarizing the reality of our lives into single sentences or single statements because that can help direct our lives. And if I take those two verses, Acts chapter 10, verses 37 and 38, and I try to summarize Jesus' life the way he's presented to Cornelius by Peter, then this is the statement I would make. I want you to write this down in your notes. This is a good way to think about Jesus. He went around doing good because God was with him. He went around doing good because God was with him. You know, there are things about Jesus that you and I will never be able to duplicate in our lives. For example, you and I are never going to walk on the water. You and I are never going to change water into wine. We're never going to make the, the, the lame walk or the blind see or the deaf hear, and you can go on and on and on. But at the same time, the Bible commands us and instructs us in multiple places to be imitators of Christ. So how are we going to do that? Well, we've got we to gotta look at Jesus' life in a very practical way, and we can find, and if we do that, we can find ways that we can imitate his life. And here's a good example. We can imitate the life of Jesus, and we can live lives of impact if we follow his example of going around and doing good because God was with him. We can impact the world around us by doing good, by making a commitment to do good. You probably heard of the name John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist Church. From a spiritual standpoint, he was a powerful, powerful man. Uh, during his ministry, he led revival that took place not just in Great Britain, but in the United States as well, resulting in thousands upon thousands of people coming to Christ. One thing about John Wesley is he had a, a, a a way of cutting through religious ritualism and meaningless formalities and focusing on the essence of what it really means to be a Christian. And one example of that is at one point in his life, he summarized the Christian life into three general rules, three simple rules that every Christian can follow in their lives. And here are those rules. Number one, he said, do no harm. Number two, he said, do good. And number three, he said, stay in love with God. Three simple rules, not difficult to understand. Anybody can follow them. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. And Wesley got the idea for that second rule, that rule that says do good, from Jesus, who when you look at his life in the Scripture, see that he went around doing good. So here's my challenge for all of us this morning. We need to adopt a Jesus-centered lifestyle. If that's a Christian, that's something you should have already been doing in your life. But we need to adopt a Jesus-centered lifestyle, and one specific way we can do that is by spending our lives doing good, by committing ourselves to doing good. And so that's the challenge I have for you this weekend. But I want you to know that before you say yes to that challenge, because it sounds pretty simple, anybody can do that, and so it sounds pretty simple. But before you 
wrap your arms around that challenge this morning, I've got to give you three truths to consider. And these aren't three truths that just come from my brain or my mind. These are three truths that come from the Scriptures, in particular those two verses that we focused on, verses 37 and 38. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with Him. I'm going to draw three truths from those two verses that we need to understand before we make this commitment to follow the example of Jesus by going around and doing good. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Doing good requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Doing good requires the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 38 said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Think about that again. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. Doing good requires the power of the Holy Spirit. And what this reminds us of is that none of us, no matter how gifted we might be in our lives, none of us can live the Christian life successfully based solely on our own strength and our own power. We all need help, and that help comes in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, over the years, we've talked about the Holy Spirit here on a number of different occasions. And I know the Holy Spirit is something that not everyone understands, and it's something that's difficult for many people to understand. And so I've always tried to think of really simple and direct ways to explain these kinds of things to people in a way that makes sense. And so I've told you before, at the risk of being redundant, I've told you before, it's been a while, that when I talk to somebody about the Holy Spirit and I need them to understand who the Holy Spirit is, I just try to get them to understand four words. Four words that describe the reality of the Holy Spirit. The first word is the word person. Person, with a capital P. The Holy Spirit is a person. I know we call him the Holy Spirit. I know oftentimes he's referred to as the Holy Ghost. But it's wrong if we think about him as just some some kind of mysterious, mystical presence, you know, that's out there. The Bible, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it talks about him specifically as a person, a he, a person. That's very important for us to understand. The second word that I tell people we need to use to understand who the Holy Spirit is is the word part. The word part. And the reason I use the word part is because the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is a part of what we as believers think of as the Trinity, the Trinity. Now, everybody look up here at me for a moment. I don't know if you're familiar with that word or not, but I want to tell you, the word Trinity can't be found in the Bible. That's a, that's a Christian word. That's a, a theological word that, was dis, that, was used there, that is used rather to describe a biblical truth. And the biblical truth is there's one God, but that one God exists at all times in three persons. And that's God the Father, God the Son, say it with me, God the Holy Spirit, okay? This is the reality of God, the triune nature of God, one God that exists at all times in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, is a part of the triune nature of God. You know what that means? That means that the Holy Spirit is God. He's God. And that's what we need to understand. The third word I always use to describe the reality of the Holy Spirit is the word promise, okay? So we've got person, we've got part, we've got promise. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a promise to every Christian. When you're saved, when you become a Christian, you receive the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's a promise of the Scriptures. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the first church first began, Peter preached this message about Jesus, the first gospel message about Jesus. Verse 37 says, And the people were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And in verse 38, we read, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's that tell us? That tells us that the Holy Spirit is the promise to us at salvation. When we're saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives. He begins to live inside of us. And so we've got person, we've got part, we've got promise. Here's the fourth word, and this is what really applies to what we're talking about today. The fourth word is power. The Holy Spirit is a power. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life. One of the, uh, pretty much the last thing Jesus said to the disciples, or one of the last things he said to them before he returned to heaven, the glory is recorded in Acts chapter one and verse eight. Jesus said to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you or comes on you. And so the Bible teaches us that when you become a Christian, there are many, many things that happen, and one of them is that the Holy Spirit begins to live inside of you, and He begins to live inside of you for many reasons, but one of them is to empower you to live the Christian life, give you the power to live the Christian life. Now, I don't have time this morning to give you a really deep theological explanation of how this works, so I'm going to try to make it really simple. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us again to do many different things, many different things, but one of the things he lives inside of us to do is to give us the power to do things that we weren't able to do before on our own. I'm going to say that again. Listen to me. One of the things the Holy Spirit does as he lives inside of us is he gives us the power to do things that we weren't able to do before on our own. Let's think of an example. And let's think of an example that relates to the whole idea or challenge of doing good. Let's say that you're someone... Uh, who has difficulty with compassion. Showing compassion is something that's difficult for you. It's not something that comes naturally to you. And that's a problem because being compassionate is a big part of the motivation to do good, which is what we're talking about. Well, as the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, one of the things he wants to do is to change you from the inside out so that those things that aren't natural to you, that don't come naturally to you, become a part of your life become a part of your life to help you become more compassionate. And if you're somebody that already is gifted in showing compassion, as the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and begins to change you from the inside out, what He's going to do is He's going to give you an even greater capacity for compassion, for showing compassion. We need, all of us, we need the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us to do the things that God has called us to do. And that's what we're talking about this morning, following the example that God has given us in Jesus who went around doing good, made an impact on the world by doing good. We can do the same thing, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us in order to do that. And let's just use compassion, this idea of showing compassion as, as an example as we continue to think about this. You know, here's the deal. Let's say that, let's say that I, I say to you, here's the challenge. As a Christian, let's follow the example of Jesus and let's go around doing good. And the truth is most of us can do that. Most of us can raise our hand and say, I accept the challenge and we can go out today and we can begin to do that. And we can do good for people in a variety of different ways and we can do it for a time in our own strength. We can be successful at following this challenge in our own strength, but only for a time, all of us at some point on our own, in our own strength are gonna hit a wall. All of us, how many of you know that there are times when it's easier to be compassionate and show compassion to people? There are times when it's easy and there are times when it's not easy. It's easy to be compassionate when I feel the compassion of God in my life, when things are going well in my life. It's easy to pay it forward, so to speak. 
But when I'm not feeling any compassion, I'm not feeling any love, and I'm feeling ignored, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, I'm not all that interested in being compassionate to you. We can all do it for a time in our own strength, but only for a time. But here's another reason why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. When we operate in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we do the things God has called us to do, like, for example, being compassionate to other people so that we can do good for them, the Holy Spirit has no limits. He gives us an unlimited ability to do that if we're being filled with His presence, if we're letting Him live inside of us. Think of it like this. If you go back to the text that we read earlier today, if Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We read in the text today that God anointed him with the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit to do his ministry in this world, how much more do you and I need that anointing in our lives? That just makes sense to me. And here's how it happens. And this is why we really need to think long and hard before we accept this challenge of following the example of Jesus and going around and doing good because of our need for the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Here's how He fills us. Here's how His power is made available to us. He does this as we live lives that are devoted to God. And the truth is, many of us don't live lives like that. We don't live lives of devotion. But the Holy Spirit works inside of us to change us from the inside out. He empowers us to to not have limits in what we're able to do as we live lives of devotion. And a life of devotion is a life where God, loving God, serving God, drawing near to God, those are all the priorities of our lives. And the truth is, if we want to be really honest, not all of us live that way. So before we say, absolutely, yes, sign me up for the challenge of going around doing good, we need to understand that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, but the power of the Holy Spirit's only at work in us if we're devoted, if we're truly devoted to God. Let me give you a second challenge or a second thing to think about before we say yes to following the example of Jesus by doing good. Doing good will sometimes lead to spiritual battles. Write that down somewhere in your notes. Doing good will sometimes lead to spiritual battles. If we go back to verse 38 again, uh, and we kind of summarize things a little bit, one of the things Peter said to Cornelius about Jesus, he said, Jesus went around, note this, went around doing good, note this, and healing all who were under the power of the devil, and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Here's a very important thing to understand if you commit yourself to doing good. If you commit yourself to doing good, don't be surprised if sometimes when you're trying to do good for someone, you find yourself right in the middle of a big spiritual battle. Don't be surprised when that happens. I say that because sometimes the people that you meet and the people you try to serve are going to be under different levels of spiritual oppression. I hope that you know that's true. I'm not saying that to frighten anybody at all. I'm just want, I just want to be really honest. I want us to understand what's at stake here if we accept the challenge to follow Jesus' example to go around doing good. Remember when Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 about putting on the whole armor of God or the full armor of God? It's a powerful passage of Scripture. It's not very long. It's Ephesians chapter 6 begins in verse 10, and you go down to about verse 19 or 20. But as he's prefacing the, the different pieces of the the armor of God, the spiritual armor that we need to wear as we go through life, he says in 
Ephesians 6 and verse 12, these words, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against, note this, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so here's the bottom line. There are times when doing good can put you right in the middle of a significant spiritual battle, and you have to be prepared. You know what? All of us like to do good for other people. I, and I, I'm that way, and you know, I've told you before, I live very close to the church, and so there are several days, maybe two or three days a week, when I come to work, I go through the drive-thru at Burger King uh, and get some kind of a breakfast sandwich, and oftentimes, I like to pay for the meal of the person in the car behind me. I'll make a quick look and see whether it's a mom in a minivan or whether it's just a single guy and make the decision on how generous I want to be that day. <laughs> but I don't do it every time, but I like to do that, and I'm sure many of you are the same way. And, that, and I think of that as falling into the category, the general category of doing good. But, but I'm doing good from arm's length distance. I'm not going to interact with them. I don't want to interact with them. I want it to be, you know, just kind of an anonymous thing that some stranger did for me today that might bless your day. But I'm not in, getting involved in their life in that act of doing good. But I'm going to tell you something. I have been a pastor full-time in the local church for 37 years, and I could tell you lots of stories about trying to do good for somebody that, that, that wound up with me right smack dab in the middle of darkness because of the spiritual forces of evil that were going on in their lives. And I bet you some of you have similar stories. We don't have time to share those stories, but I hope you know what I'm talking about. See, this is the reality of the world that we live in. There, there's a spiritual battle that goes on in people's lives every day, in your life and my life, and sometimes those spiritual battles are deep and they're dark and they're difficult. And if you're going to say, I'm going to accept the challenge of doing good, then there might be moments when you find yourself in the middle of that spiritual battle and you need to be prepared. Don't, don't say yes lightly to this because it could require a lot from you. And that just takes us back to that first truth. That's why it's so important for us to have the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit work within us because those battles can sometimes be difficult. Write this third thing down real quickly. We're going to bring this to a close. And Brian, you can go ahead and come and we'll get ready. The third thing I've got written down here based on what this abbreviated version of Acts chapter 10 in this encounter between Cornelius and, and Peter is doing good is great evidence of God's presence in your life. Doing good is great evidence of God's presence in your life. Remember the way I, 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 we read that portion from Acts 10. I said, this is a brief portion. Let's get even more brief. And I read verses 37 and 38. And I said, let me just summarize Jesus' life with this statement. He went around doing good. Note this, because God was with him. He went around doing good because God was with him. And here's the deal. When you walk with God, it's impossible not to want to do good. When you walk with God, you want to help others. A natural result of God's presence in your life is you want to be a blessing to others. And that's what makes doing good so powerful in the lives of Christians because ultimately, sooner or later, if you do that, if you follow the example of Jesus, it's going to lead to the opportunity for you to give a witness or you to give a testimony for God. Look at these words on the screen. This is a great verse from 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Peter says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Now note this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The word Peter uses for hope there in the original language of the New Testament is the Greek word elpis, and it means literally a joyful and confident expectation of salvation. That's where our hope is found. Now I read those verse, or that verse and those words, and it's clear to me that my greatest motivation for doing good for someone else is the recognition of 
how good God has been to me. And the greatest act of goodness that God has brought into my life is the salvation that he's given me through Christ. He's made my life new. And if you're a Christian, it's the same for you. Well, we need to pay that forward. And we need to pay it forward in a way that would cause somebody, by doing good for other people, in a way that would cause them to stop and ask, why are you doing this? Why are you being so kind? Why are you being so helpful? And why are you being so generous? And our answer should just simply be because God has been so kind and so helpful and so generous to me. What a great opportunity to give a testimony for the Lord. That's why it's so important for us to understand that doing good is great evidence to the presence of God in our lives because it gives us an opportunity ultimately to give a witness and a testimony for God. You know what this is all about at the end of the day, friends? This is all about the truth that as Christians, we should be living questionable lives, but not necessarily in the way that we might initially think. Questionable lives. In other words, we should, be li- we should be living lives that cause people to look at us and say, why do you do the things you do? If it's, if, it's, if it's doing good for somebody, again, why are you being so kind to me? Why are you being so generous to me? Why are you being so helpful to me? And the answer is because God has been all those things to me, and he's changed my life as a result. And we need to be living questionable lives. Peter said, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Listen, all of us, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your gifts are, your weaknesses are, your strengths, your talents, or anything like, anything like that. All of us, all of us have the ability to live lives of impact and make a difference in the world if in no other way than by simply embracing the challenge to follow the example of Jesus and do good do good for people. We need to think today about how we can do that, how we can begin today, how we can begin to do good for people, people that we know, people that we've never met, people that we'll never see again, but how we can do good. But we need to remember that we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do this, that we need to be prepared that doing good might sometimes put us in the midst of genuine spiritual battles, and we need to remember that we do this, we do this as a way of paying forward the goodness that God has done for us and given to us has poured into our lives so that we can give a testimony, so that we can point people to heaven.